something I would think that we all have in common, regardless of age, are memories of someone, be it an old school friend, a buddy from work or the military, a roommate, someone who loved to tell jokes. Jokes or riddles. Riddles. Riddles have been around since... I guess they've been around since the beginning. Yourdictionary.com defines the word riddle as a problem or puzzle in the form of a question or a statement so formulated that some ingenuity is required to solve it. Well, for the past three weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 22, and today in Kingdom Encounters, we will finish the chapter. The chapter will end with two final questions, one asked to Jesus by the Pharisees, and then one final question, which is more of a riddle, which Jesus will in turn ask them. Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And if you were with us last time, the question regarding marriage and the resurrection was raised by the Sadducees, and Jesus responded to their question and silenced them. Verse 35, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And that's a good question. It's reasonable. Which is the great? Superlatives. We we think that way much of the time. The biggest, the baddest, the worst, the best, the greatest. And Jesus says to the lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus quotes words given by the Lord to Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells the Israelites that the Lord is absolute. He is the one God. You see, in those days... It was very similar to the day in which we live, where folks will worship the sun, the moon, the stars. In essence, one chasing one's own tail, so to speak. And Moses tells the Israelites that the Lord is absolute. He is the one God. He is the one true God who has made himself known to the Israelites through his mighty acts, such as the exodus from Egypt. And Jesus says that this is the great and foremost commandment. Why didn't Jesus quote one of the Ten Commandments? Well, I'm coming to that. Then Jesus says, after the first commandment being, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus then quotes this second commandment from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and following. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove or reprimand your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." 
These two theologians, Kyle and Delich, wrote about this passage in the book of Leviticus. They wrote that the Israelites were not to cherish hatred in their hearts. You know, no one writes like that anymore. They wrote that the Israelites were not to cherish hatred in their hearts towards their brother, but to admonish a neighbor to tell him openly what they had against him and reprove him for his conduct, just as Christ teaches his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. And we looked at that back on May 24th of 2020, Matthew 18, when Jesus told the disciples, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus says on these two commandments, loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself, on those two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And we, of course, know the law and the prophets as the Old Testament. The whole of the Old Testament is connected to these two commandments. And this is significant. These two commandments, they flesh out everything else. They give the heart, they give the heart to everything else. In verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus has his turn to ask a question. He asks the Pharisees a question, and in verse 42, Jesus says, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees say to Jesus, the son of David. Jesus asks, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The Pharisees answer, the son of David. And Jesus says in 43, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord? saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. What does this verse mean? What, what is this? Well, Jesus, he quotes a psalm of David. Uh, we know it as Psalm 110. And at the beginning of Psalms, there's a heading, a descriptive on several of them. Many of them have that, and and. Psalm 110 says, The Lord gives dominion to the king, a psalm of David. And in the first verse of Psalm 110, we read, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus quotes this psalm, and then he says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 45, If David then calls him Lord, how is the Christ his son? How does David in the Spirit call him Lord? And if David calls him Lord, how is he David's son? In essence, how does David call the Christ Lord when the Christ is of the lineage of David? And if David calls the Christ Lord, how then is it possible 
that the Christ is of David's lineage. It's as if Jesus has given the Pharisees a riddle. Matthew tells us in this last verse of chapter 22, No one was able to answer Jesus a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. No one dared to ask Jesus, why? The text doesn't tell us the answer. We actually have to look ahead a matter of just a few months to Acts chapter 2, after the crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read that the disciples are characterized as being continually devoted to prayer. And this sets the stage for what is to come, the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we find that the disciples are all together in one place. And suddenly there comes from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it fills the whole house where they're sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and those tongues rested on each one of the disciples. And the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Verse 12 reads that they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others are mocking, and they're saying that the disciples, that they're full of sweet wine. <laughs> There's always scoffers, isn't there? Debbie Downers in every group. But Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, takes his stand with the eleven, raises his voice, and declares to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Peter, from verse 16 through 21, takes a word from the Lord, which was given to the prophet Joel, and points forward to this time when the Lord is pouring out His Spirit on His people. And then in verse 22, Peter then begins to preach the gospel. Good news. Verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. These are words that Peter quotes of David from Psalm 16. 
because you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on in verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, that's 2 Samuel chapter 7, David could look ahead and speak of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and that right hand is a seat of prominence of power, Therefore, Jesus, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, here in Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and following, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter quotes the same scripture that Jesus quoted today in Matthew chapter 22, Psalm 110. Peter says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus has been exalted and has now sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, just as he said. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper that the Helper, for the Helper to come, Jesus would have to depart, exalted to the right hand of God. Paul said the same thing of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul said, Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus exalted. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, because Jesus was willing to go to the cross. You see, when when Jesus on that afternoon is asking the Pharisees this riddle, this question, Jesus knew what was ahead. When he talked of making his enemies his footstool, because that's what would happen at the cross. Jesus would go on to defeat the enemies of sin, death, and hell. And because Jesus did that, he is seated at that right hand of the Father, that place of power and prominence. 
Jesus exalted. What did Jesus say regarding Psalm 110? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. As the living Word of God, this exaltation, this authority, gives Jesus the right to answer the question about the Great Commandment. You see, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And as the living Word of God, He can interpret the Word of God. Let me say that one more time. Jesus being the living Word of God can interpret the Word of God. And that's why Jesus could answer the question about the Great Commandment. And while not everyone present at this conversation understood all the parameters of this Q&A session, they've all heard Jesus reframe what the Lord told Moses. So a question. Would you dare to ask this man a question about the law? Today, the answer is the question which Jesus asked. We've seen throughout these kingdom encounters that some were able to see Jesus as Messiah, the Anointed One. And while not everyone present, again, at this conversation, understands all the parameters of this Q&A session, some do understand in part. They've all heard Jesus reframe what the Lord told Moses. They've all heard Jesus say that, and they've heard Jesus reveal his lineage to David, and they've heard him point to his exaltation, which is coming, and this confirms his anointing as Messiah, the anointed one, the greater son of David, greater than King David himself, the Messiah who has come and will come again in final exaltation. And on this day... They don't dare ask him anything else. <laughs> what do you do when you come face to face with God? What do you do? You've heard me say this before, that if we can trust Jesus to deal with the resurrection, that we can trust Him to deal with our sin. Everyone needs salvation because we've all sinned. And the price, the wage of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. As we've said today, Jesus, by dying on the cross, has paid the price of the wages of our sin. God showed us His great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners we deserve death and that we need a Savior, and if we can step past our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who can die for us and be restored to life, Messiah, the Anointed One, if we confess our sin and our need for Him, and if we trust in that and we have the belief, the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, this will bring us into a relationship of peace with God. Again, I ask the question, what do you do when you come face to face with God? The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, 
to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.